On this episode, we discuss The Bubble. The movie equivalent of the Celebrity Imagine video. (laughs) (laughs) Harsh, harsh but fair. (laughs) Should we even do the episode now? (laughs) I guess summed it up. I did it. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, it's me, Stuart Wellington. <laughs> oh, wow. Groovy. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalen, and I'm not even going to try to to simulate that level of grooviness. I just can't yeah. do it. It's only groovy stew. Nobody. Oh, why, so why are we feeling groovy? <laughs> Is it because we're walking across one of uh, Manhattan's bridges? No. Yeah, yeah. Because... I went to, I saw lampposts, and the power was flowing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty groovy. That, that bri- the bridge that that song is named after is not really much of a pedestrian bridge, so I don't know why it's about walking <laughs> along and seeing lampposts. But anyway, wait, this was feeling a long time groovy ago. is about a fucking bridge. <laughs> Looking for love and feeling groovy. Yeah, the I 50, guess. What is it? The 59th Street Bridge song. Oh, I thought it was I like somebody stepped bridge, on like I think a- now is now the is the is the is the Robert F Kennedy Bridge right? Or is it yeah, the Ed Koch yeah. Bridge? I don't live in New York anymore. I don't care about those people. Well, now wow. that we've got you all on the edge of your seats with all this bridge talk, we're going to talk about uh, <laughs> how this is a very special time, why we're feeling so groovy. It's a Max Fun Drive, the one time during the year that we come to you and ask the listeners for a little support. Let me talk to you about it. We uh, uh, This is the time when we ask our listeners, hey, if you enjoy this show, you like what we do, and you like it to continue to be part of your life for years to come, Please consider becoming a supporting member of Maximum Fun with a monthly payment that helps sustain our show and the network. And I'll, I'm not going to say a lot more about it now. We're going to talk about it a little later. But please listen we, when we do talk about it in a bit. I know it's a pain when I was a kid. I didn't like it when PBS would interrupt me watching Sherlock Holmes on Mystery mm-hmm. to talk about the importance of public-supported media and, and hold up their tote bags. But we're going to have some cool, some cool gifts some rewards to talk about at both the network level and rewards that are unique to our show. So please don't skip ahead when we get to that. Uh, unless you just go join now at maximumfund.org forward slash join. And then, fuck it, skip whatever you like. But now, <laughs> for now, back to the show. This is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And, who oh boy, we, we talked to this <laughs> this week. We did a movie that we were sort of hoping to avoid, I think oh, all yeah, of us. Yeah, we, we put it off a lot. We kept delaying it, and I like yeah. a, I like a master torturer out of a out of a mm-hmm. Gene Wolfe novel. <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. Well, saying, you're severing the torture <laughs> with perfect memory. <laughs> I kept saying, and your what sword about, terminus est. <laughs> my my, I kept saying, what about the bubble? What about the bubble? And then hey, we would all be I like, Am I saying uh, that right? Is it terminus est? Is that how you pronounce that shit? Because I mean, that's also that, obviously. Before you interrupt me, guys, I know it's also the flagship of Typhus the Plague Lord in Warhammer 40,000. Oh, thank God. <laughs> this is the kind of that stuff that our, that our pledgers love. So if you want more <laughs> yeah. of that kind of extremely esoteric st- Stuart role-playing game and 70s <laughs> fi- fantasy novel knowledge, please support uh, us now. I don't think it's technically a fantasy because it happens – wait, does it happen far in the future it or far in the past? It happens far in the future, right? Yeah, I don't remember. But I mean, but Jack, the Jack Vance's dying Earth novels happen far in the future, and they're still fantasy. There's wizards and stuff. 
Mm, yeah, I think true. wizards and stuff is the is the key to whether it's a fantasy novel. Yeah. Yep. If you look over. up fantasy in the dictionary, like, it says noun, subject, wizards and stuff, adjective, descriptor, <laughs> I mean, wizards and stuff. That's how fucking when Ian McShane gets hired to be in the Jack Vance novel movies, he's like, yeah, it's just wizards and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, so we put off the bubble quite a bit, and then we watched the movie. Were we right to put off the bubble as long yes, as we, we did? Yes, we were. We, like, we, I think we knew that this was one that was going to specifically just make us unhappy. And yeah. for a long time, we didn't do it. And then we're like, oh, the Flophouse cupboards are bare. We can't come up with a better <laughs> idea. Time to, time to chap our own asses for two hours. <laughs> and this was, the thing is, like, this was, a big picture in the sense that it has major stars and it's directed by Judd Apatow, but many people would Elliot's be, favorite com- comedic director yeah. and dramatic well, director. Well, we'll talk about We'll talk about <laughs> But, like, this, you know, this in the olden days, uh, this would be released to theater where it would be a, a major flop. A but huge instead, hit. <laughs> it was on Netflix where when we announced the bubble, many listeners were like, now what is this movie? <laughs> now, mm. you're not talking about Steven Soderbergh's bubble? <laughs> Yeah, you're not talking about the 1966 The Bubble, directed by Arch Obler, that was recently done on the on Mystery Science Theater 3000 through their Gizmoplex website. You're not talking about the hit graphic novel written by Jordan Morris? Yeah. Bubble? We're pre-flopping the movie. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Take that, you're not, Jordan. You're, you're not talking about Michael Buble, many moms' favorite singer? Uh-huh. You're, you're not talking about the carbonated alcoholic beverage? <laughs> Uh, it's alcoholic. Just bubbles? But no, there's bubbly a, or bubble. There's what, a beverage just called bubble? I don't know. I see drag queens drinking on drag race. Okay. Um, you just wouldn't be cool. Yeah. I just figured uh, Stuart knew what he was talking about when he came to the beverage industry. Thank since you. That's his I didn't realize. I wasn't expecting immediate pushback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I folded. Um, yeah, that's when guys, Michael Palin rushes in. Nobody <laughs> expects immediate pushback. <laughs> yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back the uh, the what the apron here and yeah, let yeah, everybody pull know. Pull aside the apron. Pull aside apron. the apron and let our listeners know that we we had actually intended to do this episode a few days before, but Dan mm. got very very sick. Yes. Um, I did. I'm, this is not a joke. I'm being 100% serious. No, almost as if his body was rejecting the movie. <laughs> yeah, rejecting the movie bubble. Uh, it caused yeah. a bubble in his tumbo and it made him <laughs> go to the bathroom. I, and had, I had set up all the recording equipment. Stuart had not gotten like that. It was like close enough that Stuart had not gotten the text saying, uh, I can't do this right now. Like, like like somebody in a horror movie expecting to be warned that the killer is on their yeah. way. I was dr- like... Uh, I was using a hot air uh, dryer on my hair and obviously on my other parts to make mm-hmm. sure my whole sure. body's dried like a normal mm-hmm. person. Sure. But yeah. I, w- I didn't even hear all the notifications. I was just yeah. like humming a little song to myself like <laughs> at the body shop or whatever that is. And uh, yeah. and I was having a really good time. I show up to Dan's apartment and Audrey's like, do not come in. Dan says, you're not allowed. Quarantine. No, it was, I mean like, 45 minutes beforehand, like the contents of my body violent, violently ejected themselves through my mouth and oh. uh, all of 
the sweat in my face <laughs> came mm-hmm. to the surface of my head. Yep. And I was like, oh, now so wait, I've so that's, got that's, a 101 fever all of a I sudden. Mean, Dan, that's Hellraiser type stuff. If the sweat uh-huh. comes out on your face and then it pulls up to the top of your head, <laughs> this Dan's description style. is getting Ruben Oslin. I just got real clammy all of a sudden. In this episode. And uh, it, look, if anyone's worried about Stuart, I've tested for COVID multiple times. Uh, you know, vomiting is not a typical uh, symptom, but it can be in some cases. But mm-hmm. I, I'm not. It was a, it was like a 24-hour stomach bug. I'm feeling a lot better, but thank oh, you that's for- that's such a good movie, 24-hour stomach bug with <laughs> Steve Coogan. It's <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, so, well, this, this whole thing is to set up. I hope that with all this time that's passed, I hope I remember all of the hilarious jokes and bits in the movie, yeah. guys. <laughs> it's all kind of flown out of my brain. Ooh, I, it's going to be fun. I want to take a moment before we talk about the bubble to apologize to the makers of the movie Airplane 2, the sequel, uh, a movie that we recorded a special bonus content episode about, uh, and you'll hear about more about it uh, in a, at a future time uh, for this pledge drive. Uh when we talked about that movie, spoiler alert, it made me so mad. And I was like, these people are so lazy. They're using the same joke over and over again. I didn't realize there was another level where you just don't make jokes. Yeah. Instead of repeating the same <laughs> joke over and again, you just have no jokes in the movie. So I want to yeah. apologize. You keep making feints in like various directions of like where like some comedy could be found if an mm-hmm. enterprising miner came along and dug it up, but there's no... <laughs> well, here's, well, I'll tell you what. Here's the thing. Maybe this is a new step towards really including the audience where it's like, sure. hey, Here's a space for a joke. What would you put here? It's like you make mm-hmm. the call, but instead it's you uh-huh. make the joke. And in that way, maybe this is the greatest comedy movie ever made because it really makes the the audience, the observer, a full collaborator in that they have to fill in the jokes that would be there but are not there. I will say this is such a stacked cast. Like these are all like funny performers, people I've laughed at before. Mm-hmm. Um that for like the first 30 minutes, I wasn't enjoying it, but every once in a while I would laugh at something and then like stony silence for the next 90 <laughs> minutes <laughs> as I got worn down by this film. <laughs> yeah, getting sicker it's, and sicker. It's resolute refusal to like, figure out what it's about or why anyone's supposed to be watching it. That is also every time a plot is about to erupt, the movie tamps it down. It's like, shh, <laughs> shh, people are no, worried no. right now. They don't need this, t- this stress, this tension. Yeah. So should I talk, should I go through this movie? Uh, I'm, yeah, please. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm that's not going to go through it. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go through it super, <laughs> super detailed in some places because it's, it's yeah, it's kind of more a um, an Altman-esque uh, yeah. you know, uh, free-floating <laughs> yeah, group of characters, you know. Um, I would also describe it as, what if day for night was not good? But, oh. okay, we start with a bunch of posters for the Cliff Beasts action movie series, and there's a caption which tells us this is the 23rd biggest movie franchise of all time, and now they're about to film Cliff Beasts 6 during COVID in England. And we haven't seen the Cliff Beasts yet. We do see them dance, too. How would you describe a Cliff Beast? Because the idea is that this is a, a huge action series that everyone's familiar with. Well, yeah, it's the Cliff Beast. It seems appears to be kind of a, a T Rex with wings, like a little T Rex with wings, or like in between a Velociraptor and T Rex. Like clearly, this is meant to evoke the Jurassic Park series, but it yes. is more of a, a fantasy version of it, like a little more violent. Um, 
It, I mean, I Jurassic Park the, series is pretty violent. A guy gets eaten by a T-Rex while he's not sitting on the shitter. Sh- yeah, sure. Yeah, what a way to go. Sure, but like I think that this, now, again, this seems to be— it, it does not fulfill the promise of ghoulies that where the T-Rex would come up through the toilet seat and bite him in the butt, that would as we be, talked about the Critters episode. You know how long they fucking tried to get that gag to work. They're like, well, his <laughs> snout doesn't actually fit. And they're like, but what if the, what if we made a giant uh, toilet? <laughs> and they're like, well, that wouldn't make toilet. sense at all. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, the but no, the joke— yeah, it's, it's a, a theme park, so it's like, thing, a, yeah. it's like a multi-person public toilet where everyone sits in a <laughs> ring around the edge of the bowl. <laughs> um, see, now I'm just imagining how you would do it in effects where you would have to build like a bigger toilet with a bigger ghoulie and then composite it, you know, with a regular sized uh, person, you know. It would be yeah. really cool if in the first Jurassic Park movie, when he's sitting on the thing, he's frightened of the T-Rex and instead a ghoulie climbs on the <laughs> toilet and kills him. <laughs> Didn't expect me, did you? No. <laughs> Surprising twist. Mm-hmm. No, well, but I mean, Na- I know nature finds a way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, nature finds let's a way. To say, destroy, except ghoulies didn't find a way. <laughs> yes, let's Dan? say gorier. It looks a little more like disreputable than the. Like, yes. The, the, part of the problem with the this movie one Go of on. the, one of its many problems, but one of the problems is the movie within the movie, and I and I see this in a lot of comedies, and I. I hate it every time. Like the mm-hmm. movie within the movie, I feel like shouldn't look like a parody in a comedy. For the yeah, most part, it feels part. like the the movie within a movie. It shouldn't. It should. It should not look like a parody. Instead, it should look like you are taking those elements that are sincere about it so far that it becomes yeah. funny. And that that was the thing. I agree that these scenes. If this is what you're saying, the scenes in the movie kind of didn't go far enough to be like a funny takedown. Of those mm-hmm. types of movies, and instead they were just kind of like goofy, kind of silly slapdash. Or yeah. the serious stuff just seems funnier when put next to seeing their actual lives and how, like, uh, you know, dis- dysfunctional everybody. Is. Right. I there was, right. There was there's one scene. The scene skipping ahead, like the scene later on where the TikTok girl teaches uh, teaches a, one of the Cliff Beasts how to do a dance. That scene like almost got <clears> there, where I was like, okay, this is a funny like extrapol exaggeration if you're gonna- of. Of Chris yes. Pratt and Blue, you know. If you're going to go that outrageous, sure. But the, like, that's a different, it's like a tone issue. It's like figuring out what kind of comedy you're making because I would yes. argue that m- for the most part though, like if you're making this kind of movie, I don't know. I always have the problem. If it looks like a comedy sketch, if it looks like a, an SNL yes. like trailer, I'm like, okay, yeah. well this works at that length. But if we are to believe that these are all professional that- people making <laughs> a movie- like, what is this movie? Like, why do we think that this is a movie that people who are professionals think that other people are going to go see? Well, but I it's want interesting. at least that grounding, and then the wackiness can be. Well, no, be it's cool because what the it, what the, shit. Yeah, the filmmaker is saying that the people who go to movies are fucking idiots, <laughs> <laughs> and that the people who make movies are idiots. It's a, it's a movie that is it's, but it's also the the tone the real tone issue I have overall with this is that it is a movie that is all about like skewering Hollywood pretensions, but it doesn't really. Like, it doesn't yeah. really go very well, far Well, that's the other that thing. Yeah. If if the people making the movie were all idiots, if that was the point of the movie, this movie does not have fangs enough for anyone. Like, if the point of the movie was that these people are all, like, incompetent and we are to laugh at them, that would be one thing. But I think mm-hmm. that you're ultimately supposed to like some of them, which yes. was Well, it reminds problem. me of a, do you guys remember the movie State in Maine? From years ago. Yeah. That's another movie where I felt like it had the same problem where it was like, we're going to take down the movie business. But the movie, but we also want you to like these characters. So they're not like bad people. And what mm-hmm. they're doing isn't that bad. It's just kind of, you know, light and silly. But it's not that silly. Okay, but let's get to the plot. We haven't met these characters yet. Okay, first off, we meet the producer, Gavin, Peter Serafinowitz. And he's explaining mm-hmm. he's explaining to two new staffers, uh, Gunther and Bola, 
that they are going to be working <laughs> to take care of the actors in this COVID-free bubble they've created at this luxury hotel in the middle of nowhere in England. Uh, and this is mean. This means we're going to have to manage the volatile emotions of these actors. And, and I, I was mean, really excited at this point because I'm like, Darth Maul's in this fucking thing? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the voice of Darth <laughs> That's Maul. That's how you I'm mostly sorry, I know click. him when you see him in a comedy. <laughs> You're like, ooh. <laughs> That's the voice the of Darth Maul. cut up Darth Maul. <laughs> at, at last, was they're going to reveal themselves in the I'm, Jedi? I mean, Darth Maul was cut up. Up. Like he was yeah, cut in true. two, so he has a he lovable a cut, cut up. up. Yeah, uh, one of those actors we soon meet is Carol Cobb, played by Karen Gillan, and she skipped Cliff Beast Five to make a movie where she played a half Israeli, half Palestinian woman who fights aliens and brings peace to the Middle East. And uh -huh. we only get to see a glimpse of this. And similarly, it looks more like a sketch scene than it does a, a real movie. And that movie is a bomb. So her agent, uh, Rob Delaney is like, you have to take this role and you're gonna go into this COVID bubble for the whole production and leave your fiance and your soon-to-be stepchildren behind. And she arrives and there's a lot of stale jokes about COVID tests and distancing and like she has to quarantine herself and there's just a montage of her for two weeks drinking and eating snacks. And it feels like this is not the movie's fault, but all of this COVID material feels super outdated and old already. Yeah, and let's talk about, because so for all the audience members who were in the camp of like the bubble, what's that? Like the bub the titular bubble, we we're talking about a COVID bubble. Yeah. That they are all filming this movie. This movie is a, it's yes, not, again, a product. It's not like the Steven Soderbergh movie Bubble, which was about an enormous sentient bubble that eats the town. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, this is a product of early pandemic. And, uh, you know, to get back to like the, ca the characters like being these dumb actors, I think that part of the, problem that one's brain rejects this movie is like you're like okay we all went through the pandemic why are we caring about the travails of these like the most pampered people in the middle of the pandemic and again if it was a meaner movie like the joke of it would be that like these are the most pampered people and uh, experiencing hardship for the first time undoes yeah, them and it's going to take them apart yeah, that if if it went full bore in that that could be a good premise, but because it doesn't, it's like, ugh, what do you guys? What's going? I mean, like even when like later on when people are like starting to get shot, you're like, well, you know, you kind of brought this on yourself by whining so much. Well, but I mean, <laughs> even then, it's still it's still not doesn't feel harsh enough, you know. And yeah. What was the what was the Anne Hathaway movie that we watched? Was it called Lockdown? Lockdown. Lockdown. Yeah. yeah. I had so much more respect for that movie after this because I was like, I didn't like that movie, but it still felt like it was getting a little bit closer to a real feeling about what it yes. was like mm -hmm. during that time than this was. Uh, whereas this is the minute that it's like, uh-oh, they're in a bubble at a huge oh, luxury hotel. Well, everything they want is right there and there's no real hardship except that they don't have to leave this luxury hotel. It's like, uh, that sounds great. That's a great, let's, that's fantastic. Uh, let's let's send that copy over to the makers of Lockdown so they can add it to the movie poster. <laughs> Better and, than I mean, Bubble. And, and, and you can send the quote to Airplane 2. I owe this movie an apology, says Elliot Kalin. <laughs> I saw the bubble, he screamed. <laughs> it oh, was weirdly, a they don't, bubble. <laughs> that's that episode of MASH, right? Uh -huh. They don't usually attribute quotes that way with like <laughs> with descriptions of stage direction and such. R-E colon the bubble. <laughs> not as good as lockdown uh so there's a lot of so anyway they're all going crazy quarantine 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 time quarantine quarantine cow <laughs> <laughs> and one of the lesser disney characters quarantine cow yeah 
So uh, quarantine time ends. The cast meets for a cocktail party. We meet the rest of the actors. I'm just going to go through who the other characters are. Okay. Yeah. Now, luckily, you don't actually have to put too much time in describing them because they don't really have a lot of personality. Yeah. No, they're really playing off of their already being famous. There's Lauren, played by Leslie Mann. She's mad mm-hmm. at Carol for skipping the last movie. There's Dustin, played by David Duchovny, Lauren's ex-husband, who immediately tries to rekindle their relationship and they start screwing again. Crystal, played by Iris Apatow. She's a TikTok influencer who's been brought to the cast as a new cast member. And she quickly makes friends with Carla, the sarcastic daughter of the movie's stunt coordinator. And we don't find out till later in the movie why Carla is there when the stunt coordinator, stunt coordinator character is just John Cena in a cameo over an iPad later on, as we see. And played by Dennis Hopper's daughter. Oh, okay. What? Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, Dennis know. Hopper. His daughter, Denise yeah. Hopper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh the, uh, yeah, I'm sure that's how he made it. Wait, are you sure it was Dennis Hopper's daughter and not, and not Doc Hopper's daughter from the Muppet movie? Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. It's Doc yeah, was Hopper's she trying, daughter. The clue, the clue was, was she tr- constantly trying to kill Kermit and harvest his legs? Yeah, That's Gale, what would tell us, yeah. Galen Hopper? Hmm, let me check the— let me. Yeah, just there's <laughs> there's Dieter, played by Pedro Pascal, who's a decadent, burnt-out Oscar winner who is also joining the cast for the first time. Who also, like— I I have to get like the guy has so much charisma. I mean, he, <laughs> he can kind of get through almost. He's got a lot anything. of charisma, but they it's they still they don't. I mean, they don't give him a lot to do. Other than yeah, act that's kind of wasted. You know, of the out. main cast, like I was most happy to see when he appeared on screen. Well, like, but yeah, I like as the movie went on, they really didn't seem to know what to do with them. Like, at no, they all. don't. Well, they don't really seem to know who to what to do with most. There's. Sean, played by Keegan-Michael Key, because I'm not done with the rest of the characters. Yep. There's Sean, played by Keegan-Michael Key, who has recently started a self-help cult. Uh, there's Howie, played by Guz Khan. He's the big, loud comic relief actor. There's Annika, who's a clerk at the hotel, who's played by Maria Bakalova, and apparently it was while making this movie that she was notified and she had been nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Academy Award for Borat 2, um, in which Again, they give her so much more to charming. do. she's very charming. And she's yeah. always great and charming, yeah. And there's Darren, played by Fred Armisen, who is a the director of this Cliff B6. Ugh. He's an indie director who's making his first big-budget movie. Again, this is a thing that happens in Hollywood. They could have really satirized it, and they don't really, they don't really go after it. The idea of someone who has made a small indie darling movie and is now in charge of this enormous operation and is flailing. A uh, lot of characters, and yet this first group scene is incredibly low energy. It really does feel like all the actors were brought in on the first day to mingle with each other, and they said, and they shot it, and then was like, and they were like, pretend to be in your characters for a couple I, minutes. There's like not I'm, a lot going on here. I mean, I, so I don't know how this was produced. Like, I don't know, like, the story behind it. Like, it mm-hmm. seems like, you know, Apatow, obviously known for doing a lot of improv and mostly like you know that works when it's like let's do a lot of alts for something and maybe something interesting will happen and unlike elliot like would you I, call him an alt man yeah <laughs> well i would say that's the thing. here here he's going in more of an alt man direction where it's like you have your character you're going to exist as your character and just interact and we're just going to record all of it like robert altman yes. obviously was working off a screenplay with stories but he did so much more where it was just kind of <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it was just like he's well, wow, he looks, wow. He's, stories, huh? Yeah, but you look at a movie like Nashville or McCabe and Mrs. Miller, or even like a wedding, where it's clear that there's a certain amount of just kind of like open room for everyone well, yeah, to play no, in. Yeah, this seems like more the ultimate of Pret a Porter, where it's like I don't know yes. how much screenplay there was. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was getting at. I or think like Prairie Home feels Companion. Like, yeah, they just like threw everyone together, like ah, it'll work itself out. And like, look, I I. I like Apatow a lot more than Elliot is what I was going to say. Like, I think the early things he directed are very funny. And like, 
he was a necessary corrective to Higher some Dane things that were, were happening in comedy before that. But at this he point, certainly, like, oh, he, he certainly he needs brought, to he brought go a level back. Of, I'm yeah. still talking. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> he needs to go back to like actually writing a script out <laughs> and doing that. That's all I want to say. Yeah, go on. Sorry, Elliot. No, so I say he certainly brought like a, a real humanity to comedy. I feel like him and like, you know, like, who, what in TV like Mike Schur and Greg Daniels and stuff like yeah. at a time when comedy had gotten very like ironic bitter. Yes, they brought a real kind of like heart back to it, which is very valuable. Um, but here it's it's kind of doesn't even it doesn't have that even. Yeah, you know, so it's it's kind of missing that. Uh, I'm not going to go scene by scene through the movie because again, it's no. more kind of like you're just watching characters. I will say that uh, there's a lot of montages. We watch the cast rehearse a bunch of fight scenes and animal stunts. There's no jokes there. They do a very elaborate TikTok lip sync dance video, which seems more like a scene that is meant to be clipped from the movie and shared virally than like a joke scene. Like it's not funny. It's not funny. Like the first time a TikTok scene comes up, I'm like, oh, this kind of makes sense. Like because there's a TikTok TikTok star here, of course. Not TikTok, which is a different social media thing. Where you, <laughs> yeah. You're talking about what, what stocks are going to stick and what stock stocks are going to get stuck. Oh, I thought it was stock footage of sticks that you yeah. buy. A, it's stock footage of both sticks, like branches, and also sticks the band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if, you need, if you need, need images of Dennis DeYoung or <laughs> a, a, or a twig, that's where you go. Stick stock, yeah. <laughs> the short story sticks. Um, no. Uh, now the thing is though. The thing is though. If you remember stick stock, you weren't there, man. <laughs> uh, I've totally forgotten. So you're saying it makes sense say. for them to do a tip a TikTok thing? Yeah, because yeah. Because there's a TikTok uh, And I was person. about to say tip top for TikTok. So <laughs> I apologize for making fun of your mistake. A tip top stick stock. Uh, <laughs> No, like I feel like if they're in a bubble, like that's what they would do. Like, oh yeah, we'll yeah. get together. It'll be fun. Like what? Like, but then it becomes like such a runner yeah. for the fucking movie, and it's not inherently funny that this person yeah. is a TikTok star. <laughs> and the movie seems no. to think it is. That's, a, it, that's it, a good point. I think I'm gonna flip flop on my TikTok stick stock. <laughs> oh, <laughs> tip top. I thought you're I thought you're stick stuck on your previous position. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I have oh. to go down to the ship shop. That's where I buy. It's a shop where I buy ships. Oof. Wow. Uh, I hope everything's ship shape. At the ship shop? <laughs> tip top. Yeah, this is good stuff. Tip top, We're ship shape, ship shop. Stop and by the so, ship shop. <laughs> and then I'll go to the chip shop at a Brooklyn restaurant, which is no yeah, yeah. longer there anymore. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. It was a delicious RIP, place yeah. to get yeah. fish one and chips. Yeah, one place you could get a fried Mars bar in Brooklyn. Anyway, so uh, the <sighs> so, but it's I think what you're right, what you're saying is right that they seem to think that just mentioning that she's a TikTok influencer is kind of like enough of a joke. Yeah. That the reference is enough of a joke, but that's it's not really – there's no joke there. The producer gets calls from the head of the studio who's played by Kate McKinnon, and she's always in a different kind of lavish 1% vacation resort, you know. And a very chaste romance starts between Pedro Pascal and Rhea Bakalova where she refuses to sleep with him until he agrees to different types of long-term relationship It's kind of contracts. a funny bit where he's like, do you want to have sex with me? She's like, yes, but first we have to do all these things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And of all the runners, that's the one that I liked – the most, and it's the one that, at the by the end, feels the most like a story has happened. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and eventually, we see some scenes from the movies. Uh, Dan's already talked about those. I got, I got to talk about that though. Now, okay. so this is a movie that's meant to be shot entirely on green screen and filled in with tons of effects. Yeah, whereas they, they say show, in Germany, Grunsgrun. So when they show these <laughs> Grunsgrun uh, scenes. But it's all Great all the scenes? effects are finished. They show it's all yes. finished effects, which are also, as Dan pointed out, very much like a parody movie. Yeah. But I don't know. Would it have been better if they just kept it? I mean, I feel like 
for realism's sake. Because it's not like they're doing the fucking special effects on the fly. No, they're the not fly. rendering it on the fly. I mean, we yeah, might need- As much need as to... Marvel would love that to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, that'd be, that, I guarantee you they're working on some kind of AI special effects program that would render in real time. Uh, uh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I don't know. Do you think it would have been- I feel like it would have been better if they played it straight, but just kept it all done on these green screens, which make it inherently silly, even though their performances would be not silly. I wonder. I think that would have worked. I think that would have gotten, not that seeing the scenes from the movies isn't tiring after a while, but I think that would have gotten tired much faster because the joke is that the thing that they're doing just isn't there, which is a joke they make. They have the two guys who are representing the Cliff Beasts on the green screen and they they have jokes and stuff. I I think that to break it up visually, it helps a little bit to have those scenes. You just wish that they looked more different than the rest of the movie. You know, you you wish they were shot differently, that they looked like real things. Or they were like shot with like, like the different, uh, like they were shot with one of those Michael Bay cameras. (laughs) Yes, that shakes. All the time. Yeah, that shakes all the time. Like, everything's, like, overly saturated. And Michael Bay's like, I've invented a new camera. It's constantly shaking. It can only take, it only records shots that, that go for a half a second before it shuts down. Or so. spins around. <laughs> or spins around. And I think that the, um, oh, I had another thing I was going to say about it, but I don't remember. Dan, what were you going to say? I, well, I do agree, with, you know, with Stu to some degree that, like, oh, you know, I think just them, you know, acting as tennis balls is funnier than all the, effects stuff and I mean maybe it's just the part of me that's too much of a movie fan to like just go with the movie like there is a like a nerdy part of me that's just like that's not how it would be that doesn't they make any have sense right away um but there are moments where I do find it funny most there's, there's the there's the scene like it where goes on too long but I like when they're all sick you know yes, with the stomach that's what I was gonna say. flu much like I Head and they yeah. just start like falling and drifting away from the cliff well, and floating in air. They're supposed to be climbing a cliff and then they keep letting go and they're just floating in midair because they're clearly on what? Yeah, on the, on wires. It's that I think that I thought the first time I saw that I thought like that's a really funny visual because it looks like a finished movie where they're just kind of floating in midair because <laughs> mm-hmm. they've given up. But it's I I wish it had, they had been more that inventive with the rest of it that like each time they had had a thing like that where it was a yeah. it was paid off that. That it was looked finished, you know. Yeah, uh, like so many things in the movie, they're just like it seems like. I don't know. This is the scene that we improvised this morning. Let's make it happen rather than like a payoff. Uh, so David Duchovny's character he wants to rewrite the script. The director won't let him. Everybody hangs out. They get news that someone had a positive COVID test, so they all have to quarantine again. Cut to a montage of them killing time alone in their rooms, like building skills. And Leslie Mann, we see. Starts out very clumsy on roller skates and then gets very good at roller skate dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, did she get really good at roller skate dancing for the role? Was she already really good at roller skate dancing? And the best acting in the movie is her pretending she's not good at roller yeah, skating. Yeah, that's actually uh-huh. a really good point. The same way that Michelle Yeoh, for all the reasons she earned that Best Actress Award that she won not too long ago before we recorded mm-hmm. this, is – Playing a character who convincingly does not know how to do kung fu and has no and tr- is doing martial arts clumsily and with no, looking like she has no <laughs> idea what she's doing is that must be the hardest thing for Michelle Yeoh to do in yes. the world. So, <laughs> so maybe Leslie Mann is just pulling out all the stops to make it seem like she's mm-hmm. not good at roller skating. Maybe yeah. she's an amazing roller skater. In which case, right in wanna, Leslie Mann. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Leslie Mann, I want to see you in a roller skate movie. Like I think that would be hilarious. I'd love to see. Mm-hmm. Leslie Mann star in a movie about a, a champion roller skater, someone who owns a roller rink. I don't know. What what would it be, Let's guys? get that Xanadu reboot off the ground. Yeah, call it Manadu, because mm-hmm. it's Leslie Mann. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Better yet, call it Manitou. Because yeah, it's a sequel, one. yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, call it Manatee. And she's a roller skating manatee. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Get on this, I mean, at Hollywood. that point, you don't even need the roller skates. I mean, <laughs> no, just no, no, manatee. no. That's the roller skates make the movie. You know what? Yeah, actually, you know, you're right. Forget the roller skates. She's just a manatee with Leslie Mann's face. And but there's still a remake of Xanadu. There's probably already an asylum production about like a killer manatee called Manatee, right? Dan? Probably. Uh, I probably, I'm sorry, this is, re, re, this is, this is flashing me back to one of my, as, as uh, Jesse Thorne very insultingly calls them, my low, uh, effort tweets, uh, where I talked about Leslie Mann. Yeah, you sweat over or, those sorry, fucking sorry, things. Man, man. Like Hephaestus over the forge. <laughs> man, man, <laughs> who has all the powers of Leslie Mann because, of course, Man Man was bitten by a radioactive Leslie that Man. Is a, that is a low-energy tweet, uh, delivered with <laughs> even less energy. Now, <laughs> well, now you usually, know, it no, was here's, what if interrupted Manatee, by two <laughs> doofuses. <laughs> oh. now, be, would a doofus suggest Harsh that the movie fair. Manatee is not a remake of Xanadu, but a remake of Mannequin, where the main character is a mannequin of a manatee? <laughs> well, oh, Tell wow. me if I'm a doofus now, dumbass. You had my attention, but now you have my interest. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it, like, certain suit coats would look great on a manatee. <laughs> yeah, so the first one's called Manatee. The second one, of course, is now Manitou on uh, the move again. On the move, yeah, <laughs> on the move again. And then Mana 3. Mana 3. Mana 3, Oh, my three, God, yeah. it writes itself. And then and you get the, you got the sponsor tie-ins, Manatee Manischewitz. It's the only <laughs> sweet wine that tastes like a manatee. Manatees, they're men's undershirts that have a manatee uh-huh. on them. Oh, I thought you were talking about manatees, the only fans with the hottest manatees. <laughs> oh, <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the manatee him. just teases you, just waves its tail. And you're like, I understand why those pirates and sailors thought these were mermaids. Hello. <laughs> Suddenly I get it. I'll be taking the role of Odysseus, please. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any manatees in the Odyssey, is there? Are there? Well, yeah, no, but like the sirens. He had the, the rest sir- of his crew oh, so all you're like, and the he's sirens like, were, were the yeah, Greeks like, explaining keep- manatees. <laughs> Well, he's like, keep the beeswax out of my ears because I want to hear that shit. <laughs> Elliot, is that why sirens on like a uh, on a ambulance and and such are called sirens? Is it is it from the sirens? That's a good question. I don't know if the word siren has a deeper root that involves sound or if mm. it's a response to that, but it's very possible. Mm. Very possible. Uh, you very could write possible. in, listeners, but probably by that time I'll have Googled it and or forgotten I asked the question. So. <laughs> You know, take your pick. See what you, choose your own adventure. Maximumfun.org slash join. Anyway, so uh to come. Have we gotten Leslie- to the fucking drug scene yet? No, we're getting there. That's that's, that's oh, way okay. later. So but- characters start having sex with each other. Duchovny and Leslie Man have sex on the set. Carol meets a soccer player who's staying at the same hotel, which is right. weird that their <clears> bubble overlaps with another bubble, like a Venn diagram between mm-hmm. a soccer team and a movie shoot. Doesn't make sense. They have sex after she learns her fiance has left her. Howie, the comic relief actor, he gets stressed out and punches the company in the nuts and runs away. And this leads to the hiring of Mr. Best, a mean security guy who attaches tracking <laughs> badges to the actors. This doesn't really pay off. The tracking badges don't pay off. Mr. Best pays off. Yeah, uh, I, you know what? Like, I, I didn't, I don't remember laughing at it at the time, but in retrospect, remembering how seedy Mr. Best is kind of makes me laugh. Okay. That's he's, he's like he's a very like, like sort of low level British gangster kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, he's yeah. ponytailed. He's played by the, by the actor Ross Lee. Mm. Uh, who I'm not particularly familiar with. Although, according to Wikipedia, he did have a show called Ross Lee's Ghoulies, a horror comedy-themed Saturday morning studio-based show. Maybe it was something in which Ghoulies (laughs) bit people on the toilet. I don't know. Or maybe Ross Lee bit people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm fulfilling 
Ghoulies fans' dreams by finally biting them on the butt <laughs> from the toilet. Uh, I'm going to mention so now- wait, 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 wait. <laughs> fans appear on the show. Yes. And, and it's always been their dream to be bitten on the butt. I, mean, I feel like that's just like, the movie that's basically just hanging. a horror convention type thing, right? Where you, <laughs> yeah. It's exactly. like where you go to one of those horror conventions and you pay for Michael Myers to like choke you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like when you go to a comic convention and now. you see people, everyone wants to take pictures on their knees in front of the members of the 501st Legion as if the stormtroopers mm. are about to execute them. This is something you see at a lot of comic conventions. Nobody yeah. wants to take a picture of them defeating a stormtrooper. They only want pictures where they are at the mercy of the stormtroopers. I, I wonder know. if that's in the 501st contract where they're like, we can't lose. We have to look super cool. Very possible. Very po- that's, <laughs> Unless and that we're makes fighting sense the rock or Vin Diesel. Well, that's why Vin, Vin <laughs> Diesel is a member of the 501st, I'm sure. I'm sure he dresses up and goes out to conventions as a stormtrooper. But anyway, uh, then next comes the second weirdest scene in the movie. Pedro mm. Pascal is exercising to this full-length video where Daisy Ridley is like a exercise teacher. Oh, yeah. And then she starts sex talking to him, and then he enters the screen at like Videodrome style and has sex uh-huh. with her. And yep. it is it, Go on. Nothing, nothing about it Say makes more. that much sense. And the thing that <laughs> is makes it the like least super long, of- Is it super long and sexy or anything? No, not I at mean, all. I mean, the idea of it's gone. Pedro Pascal and Daisy Ridley in my head feels sexy, yeah. but on the screen, no. <laughs> Didn't seem to work. No, doesn't, it doesn't um, work quite right. Uh, uh, <laughs> Audrey was like, uh, another young woman with an old man in a movie. And I'm like, well, I mean, I agree with you in general. This is the situation in which it makes the most sense, in which he is just fantasizing it's about. It's supposed to be a fantasy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a hallucination of this woman that he's already seeing. And between yeah, the two not, of them. It's not like something super egregious where it's like Gabriel Byrne married to Tony Collette in Hereditary, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the actors come down with the flu. Then we have the scene where they're shooting a mountain. They're climbing a mountain in the movie, and they start throwing up on themselves, and they are just hanging in midair throwing up on themselves. It's okay. Uh, The soccer player convinces Carol (laughs) to start a mutiny among the cast, but they refuse to. And I was like, phew, a plot almost broke out. That's a relief. Uh, Carol finds out that as a result of her her agitation, her lines have been given to Crystal, the TikTok influencer. And we watch this movie scene where Crystal teaches a Cliff Beast, a young Cliff Beast, a dance, which is kind of a funny idea. And Yeah. I think in the context of the bubble, it made me angry, but— I think if you saw that scene in a parody of a Jurassic Park-type movie, you would think Uh it was a funny scene. And And I— I kind of liked that in addition to losing her lines, she also got yelled at by a cliff beast and pees her pants a lot. <laughs> yeah, the character, and there's like a tube with fake pee in it that's just spraying out of her pants. Yeah, the rest of the like, cast- what? Why are you doing this to me? You're making me pee. <laughs> yeah. the, the one issue I have with the scene is that the rest of the cast also starts dancing. And it's just like, this is not the first or last scene in the movie of just the cast dancing. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. Something I realized watching this movie that I kind of always knew deep inside, uh-huh. but now I really know. I uh-huh. hate scenes in movies. This especially happens during the credits of movies where it's just the cast dancing. I hate it. I don't want to yeah. see it. Well, look. It's like I finished watching Barb and Star, and I, I was like, I really enjoyed that. I liked that movie a lot. And then it, the credits was just the cast dancing together, and I was like, mm, turn this know. shit off. And Danielle, was <laughs> like, and Danielle was like, I wanted to watch that. And I'm like, I'm leaving the room. I can't. I don't want to see the cast having a great time. I, <laughs> I mean, that movie is so good. Otherwise, I, I, don't, I don't begrudge it. But I, I, do, I, I understand what you're saying. It's funny. It's like, I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. and there's something about Mary when it's new. I'm like, oh, this is like very joyful and fun. Look at this, and, well, and it plays into your it plays into your hopes as a naive viewer that yeah. all the actors are friends. They had fun. It's a party to make a movie. They all they're all 
you know, have a special relationship. But Jonathan while, Richmond's just hanging out, playing songs. Yeah, and after well, a while, it starts to feel to me like, hey, check out this cool party you weren't invited well, to, but you get I, to watch it. <laughs> If I wanted that, I'd watch The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Some of that might be about you. It's but not that I, cool I, party. I, I do think that, like, as, yeah, the success of it in There's Something About Mary led to Hollywood being like, these saps eat it up. They love it when we pretend to like each other. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it's this sim- at the end of every comedy. It's, well, it's similar to the end of every SNL where the cast is just hugging, like, oh, what an experience we've been through. And I'm like, I don't want to see this. I don't care. Oh. All I want is to read stuff about Orson Welles talking shit about other people or Brian Cox talking about shit about other <laughs> yes, people. That's My exactly fucking what idol. I want. Dream guest for the Flophouse. Brian Cox, you're probably listening to this shit. Come on here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, Stuart has been he's been he's been uh lobbying us in our Flophouse text chain to get Brian lobbying Cox on the show. Us. And it's like, yeah, we're not against it. So Stu, I think you gotta <laughs> yeah. take that public. Start asking Agamemnon Brian Cox. Agamemnon himself should come on our show. Yeah, manifest that somehow, Stuart. Yeah, I'm trying. Who, did I see him on Broadway? Of course I did. In the time Stopper play rock and roll. It was great. Brian Cox Amer- came on the show. Uh, America's greatest living playwright, play Tom Stoppard. I, I don't think I, you can't call Tom Stoppard America's greatest living playwright. He's not American. <laughs> the, uh, that's, he's not even. He, he's a British person of Czech extraction. So it's not. He's he's not American at all. But there's a there's a <laughs> ad that keeps running on New York One here in New York City, where I live, the big city, okay. Big Apple. Uh, advertising uh, the current run of Leopoldstadt, and that's a word-for-word recreation of the ad. Did they really? say America's greatest th- living yeah, playwright? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like our greatest living playwright. Okay, our greatest living playwright. I I would totally consider. Yeah, I would humanity. Consider yeah. Although I have to say, I, I recently oh, watched the humanity. I recently watched uh, On the Razzle, which I had never seen before. I saw the like great performances version of it, and I don't know that farce is Tom Stoppard's greatest strength. Uh, mm. As much as I love his other plays, you're like stop, Ard making fl- farce. <laughs> stop, Ard Man Animation does a lot of good stuff. <laughs> have you ever worked with them? But so Tom Stoppard, we'd still love to have you on the show. Brian Cox, of course, we'd love to have you on the show. Come on the show if anyone wants to pledge not money, but that Brian Cox will appear on the show thanks to their efforts. Cox and Stoppard. <laughs> okay. Cox and those are their cops. Hold on a second. We're detectives. Is Brian Cox and Tom Stoppard as they are now. They're detectives. Uh, uh-huh. Oh, I would love Cox to see that. Cox Stoppard. Maybe Ronnie Cox shows up. We'll, you know, we'll figure it all out. We'll figure it yeah. out. And Bob Stoppard. I don't know who that is, but. So, uh, so they have this thing and then Duchovny and Mann break up again. Leslie Mann tries to escape the hotel and this is when in the middle of the night she's running out to a cover of Heart of Glass, I think. And uh, Yeah, it's which, Miley Cyrus singing Heart of Glass. Okay, it's a it's an interesting choice for the scene. And a security guard, assuming that she is a crazed fan, shoots her hand off. And mm. uh, that is, that's a wrap for Leslie Mann for most of the rest of the movie. Uh, did you guys feel like it was an escalation or not a far enough escalation when she got her hand well, shot off? Well, <sighs> It, it it's a weird effect that this had on me because I was like, that is far more brutal than I expected out of the movie. Like you Shut see, Shut up! normally doesn't include hand explosions. Yeah, in no. Movies. Her stumpy hand with like just like one finger on it. It's more the kind and, of thing you expect to see when <laughs> Travis Bickle goes on a rampage than uh, mm-hmm. than in a Judd Apatow movie. And yet, after an hour of nothing happening, it had curiously little effect on me. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying you were already so numb from the movie that seeing Leslie Mann, one of America's sweethearts, have her fingers blown off on screen in front of you was not And you know, I've watched, uh, I've watched a number of movies and a lot of them have plots. Oh yeah, name them. Arcs. And uh, so seeing this happen, I'm like, okay, so they're going to do a bit where she has like a weird robot hand or some kind of a fake hand and that's going to be 
you know, fodder for some more hilarious jokes. But nope, she just disappears at that point. And uh, it feels weird. Like, I don't know. At that point, if you're going to shoot a shooter, just have her explode. (laughs) (laughs) That's Stewart's rule for filmmakers. (laughs) If they're not going to get a robot hand, just have them explode. Just have them explode. Uh, yeah. So, so understandably, after the security guards have mutilated one of his stars, the uh, the producer Peter Serafinowicz he wants to shut down the movie, but Kate McKinnon won't let him. And this leads to a series of Zoom calls up the chain, where she calls her boss and says, "We got to shut it down," and then he calls his boss and says, "We got to shut it down," but they won't let them. And it her ends boss, with Raising Cane's John Lithgow. <laughs> right, that's right, Raising Cane and and Buckaroo Bonsai's own John Lithgow. <laughs> and it ends with John Lithgow and his Chinese boss making plans to play tennis because they're on the same beach together and didn't realize it. Guys, how did this, how did this, this it, it seems like this is heading towards a satirical point because the idea that everyone up the chain doesn't want to do this, but is being forced by the person above them. And that at yeah. the very end, this Hollywood studio is owned by a, a Chinese finance executive, but it doesn't, it doesn't really go anywhere. It, does, it's, it doesn't make yeah, a point. Yeah, you know? I mean, in theory, sure, I could see where this could go somewhere. In practice, this part of the movie made me really annoyed again from like a reality of the business angle where like this is all happening because Karen Gillan is flagging like, Hey, all this horrible stuff has happened culminating in like an actor's hand getting shot off. Uh-huh. And the idea that like well, the is people- John Landis running this show. What's going <laughs> <Yeah>. on here? <laughs> the, the oh, idea wow. that he the wouldn't people- have stopped with the hand. <laughs> I know. I, they try and set it up with like, look, COVID has shut everything down. Like, we really need this movie to go forward, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea that they wouldn't, that they would treat talent <laughs> this poorly on a major uh, picture is odd to me. Like, at least that, that no one would have any concerns. Like, look, I, don't I know, know I that. I mean, considering, considering Titanic Tarantino almost killed Uma Thurman, and, you know. That, yeah, right? but mm-hmm. like, yeah, was yeah. that. I don't know. But I know I, what you're like, saying. I know what you're saying. Well, especially when they've taken so many COVID precautions, the idea yes. that they would have no other precautions whatsoever. Well, is- and there's there's something that feels a little disconnected when the what that shows is that the low man on the totem pole, the people who have to deal with the worst conditions, in this case, are actors. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, that's- I don't know, an actual satirist might be like, no, okay, why don't we show the people who get shit on by the Yeah, actors? that's what bothers, like, like yeah. it's all focused on how poorly these actors are treated. I'm like, actors would be treated the best of anyone on this goddamn well, production. It's the movie wants it both ways because they keep making jokes about how actors demand pampering and they get all this stuff. But then also, you're right, they are the ones who are like, supposed to be the ones we're sympathetic with, or at least if not sympathetic, the ones that uh, are being shown taking the hits the most, yeah. you know, literally in in Leslie Mann's case. Um, <laughs> John Cena has a, uh, has a cameo after this as a stunt coordinator who is working remotely through an iPad. This is such a funny idea for this scene, and they just don't, yeah. I feel like they just don't execute it as well as they, they don't, they don't go as far with it because the idea of a stunt coordinator who's appearing via an iPad, can't really see anything, is lagging and freezing up, and then someone getting hurt badly. Like, this is where, this is the scene where a character should get their fingers blown off. It's like, yeah. they're, I mean, that might be a little too close to actual reality that a, a stunt goes wrong and someone gets shot on set since, the, I, but I can't remember the timeline if that happened before or after this movie was made. Well, that's but, what, uh, like, like good satire, like Judd Apatow loves to deliver, holds up a mirror to society. And I think in this case, being a little too close to home might work, Elliot. Maybe. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, but the, it's a, then, but no one seems to either, no one seems to really get hurt from this stunt go wrong. And it was like, 
I want the movie to have the courage of its convictions and really injure somebody, especially since it's coming after a scene where someone's hand got blown off. Carol wants to leave. Her agent more says blood, she cries Elias. Mm-hmm. Well, more satirical blood. You know, go all the <laughs> oh, way. If you're okay, going to make the joke, blood. go all the way and do the whole joke, you know? Yeah, yeah I uh, mean, if you want me to care about these characters— Give them traits. Beat them up. <laughs> yeah. Look, well, there's a reason. There's a reason that Spider-Man is the the greatest and most beloved character in in fiction, and it's because he never catches a break. He's always getting beat up. Whenever they uh-huh. do a series where it's like, and now everything's working out great for Spider-Man. Those are the worst Spider-Man stories. Like you want yeah. to see yeah. your main characters get have trouble. Uh, with a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. And there's a scene in a pool in this movie, but I don't mm-hmm. remember if it's around here or not. Anyway. Uh, they, Carol wants to leave. Her agent says, if you leave, you are going to owe the studio for all the money it's going to cost them, which is tens of millions of dollars. Everyone in the cast is unhappy. There's a weird scene where the hotel workers are celebrating how bad the movie is going because the longer the actors stay there, the more money the hotel makes. And that, that did feel like a weirdly tone deaf scene where the service workers are like, yeah, yeah, we love this. This is great. Like they're the villains all of a sudden. And Mm -hmm. uh, the the service workers all sing together. Uh, I don't remember what song they sing. Do you guys remember? Uh, No. Okay. Uh, there's an actor standing in for Leslie Mann, and while working with her, uh, David Duchovny is like, I feel bad. I left my family to do this, and she storms – and he storms off. Uh, Carol learns that her grandmother died, but the studio won't let her leave to attend the funeral, and uh, this, and Kate McKinnon decides it's time to pump up the cast by having Beck play a concert for them remotely. And oh, yeah. they all that dance happened. around while Beck <laughs> plays what? Lady Night? Ladies Night? And uh, – <laughs> I have become very, very uh, uh, inured to celebrity cameos as jokes in movies. I mm-hmm. feel like the John Santa one works a little bit because it's like, oh, I buy him as the guy doing this thing. It's not just someone walking on and going, I'm John Santa. John Santa, what are you doing here? But just having Beck come on and just kind of sing a song while everyone dances. I'm like, what's I, what's the joke? What's I mean, going the joke is that like clearly this is just like one of a million of these he's doing because like they – he doesn't even bother to replace like the title of the movie or whatever, or like, and like he and Kate McKinnon are like talking over each other on this thing, like they aren't timing it out right. But uh, it's not much of a joke. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm just identifying that there was an yeah, there was an attempt. Joke, yeah, but, but you uh, know what? But you know what has a lot of jokes? The Flophouse Podcast, Dan. Let's take a break from the movie, and can you tell our <laughs> listeners how they can support the Flophouse Podcast? A veritable sea of jokes that they can swim in. Yeah, cornucopia. I mean, don't s- swim in it. I, I I don't think it would support uh, your body weight. But this uh, coming doing... from a guy who loves Uncle Scrooge, a character <laughs> who swims in money. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Max Fun Drive. What's Max Fun Drive? Well, some shows make their money with corporate funding that comes with uh, a lot of strings attached. Some shows paywall. Some are all of their content behind services that take a cut without giving much back. But Max Fun. That's an artist collective, baby, that's also now completely employee-owned and managed. And it says, hey, we're going to make all our content, well, almost all our content, free to you up front. And if you like it, consider tipping the creators for their time and effort so they can continue to make a living making the shows that you love. When you give to MaxFun, some goes off the top for operating costs to pay those employee owners, but the vast majority of it goes directly to the shows that you personally select when you become a member saying, this is what I like, this is what I listen to. Now, no one likes interruptions, 
And believe you me- Except we me, don't, when it's me making the interruptions. <laughs> yeah, you love them. <laughs> uh, and believe you me, no one of us likes coming out here asking for money. So that's why we do it only once a year. So the rest of the time we're out here just making the show. So help us keep it to just once a year. Please join us as a member. I want to say, believe me, we know times are tight. The world is uncertain. If you are a person who cannot afford it right now, we're not talking to you. You don't need to feel bad about any of this. But maybe you'll be in a better position to become a member another year. If you can afford it, I say as someone who supports Maximum Fun and other podcasts myself, it feels good to feel like you're a patron of the arts or whatever it is that we do at the Flophouse. And there are multiple ways to support. You can join or upgrade or boost by a few bucks between levels. All memberships at the $5 a month or more level get bonus content. There's hundreds of hours of extra shows from across the network. I'll get into our specific bonus content uh, in just a few moments. Or you can purchase a gift membership for a friend or anonymous Max Funster, and the recipient will get access to all that bonus content. Let me get into some of the thank you gifts. At the $10 a month or more level, you get access to the bonus content as well as a reusable vinyl sticker of Tom Brokaw in a Dune still suit with a slogan that says, if it ain't Brokaw, Dune fix it. I have already <laughs> affixed one of mine to my laptop, so I think yeah. I might post a picture of it. Baffle your friends and confound your enemies with this beautiful <laughs> sticker of Tom Brokaw, fan of Dune. At $20 a month, you get all that I've mentioned, plus you get to pick either a sporty cap with the MaxFun rocket ship logo, or you get the MaxFun culinary kit, a secret blend of herbs and spices that will give your tongue maximum flavor. It's not actually a secret. I think you can see what's in it on the label, so don't worry if, you, if you've got uh, problems. And Allergies. The, and the second volume of the MaxFun- Let's just call them problems. <laughs> yeah, problems. Food problems, we call them. Second volume of the MaxFun family cookbook with recipes beloved by various hosts. I know Stu contributed a cocktail recipe, mm -hmm. and I wrote a very long explanation of a Vietnamese pork dish I make at home. Uh, but those are the network gifts. What about Flophouse-specific stuff? Yeah. Let's start with bonus content. We've already recorded Flop Tales, uh, a Flop Tales bonus adventure with Dan, and that's me, Elliot, and Jubin Pereng as your favorite cartoon dog heroes with Stuart as the game master uh, controlling our adventure mm -hmm. or well, guiding us. I mean, not yeah. controlling us. We made our own choices. <laughs> the first episode of the new adventure should be in your member bonus feed for 2023 right away. And the thrilling conclusion will drop sometime thereafter. That bonus content will be there no matter what else happens. But also, if the Flophouse specifically gets 2,000 new or upgrading members, we will record a member bonus audio commentary for Bratz, the first Flophouse movie to bring us true joy. We did a listener poll, and Bratz run one out over us yanking the mank crank or the Babylon baton. <laughs> so some people may say, didn't you already do a commentary for Bratz? That was kind of a janky audio from a live show we did a long time ago. This will that was be a more crisp, of a riff show. Yeah, a riff show. This will be a crisp new audio commentary, uh, and uh, I think that will be a delight. Um, if we reach 2,300 new or upgrading members, we have a double prize. First, we promised you an episode on one of the top 10 money-losing flops we haven't already covered on the show and release the full video of that episode to YouTube so you can see Stu's beautiful face and 
Elliot's and my passable ones. In addition, Thank we you. will <laughs> get to do, hey, passable is great in this world. We'll get to do what we've done in previous years and we'll pick uh, 30 of our new or upgrading, upgrading, I will upgrade you. No, upgrading <laughs> listeners to get personalized gifts from one of us. 10 will get signed copies of Maniac of New York from Elliot. 10 will get Hinterlags, Hinterlands, Hinterlags. Hinterlags. Sorry, I'm not used to yeah. reading so much copy at once. Hinterlands swag from Stu and 10 will get drawings of a movie character they request drawn by me. I call it copy. It's stuff that I wrote out to remind myself ahead of time. Anyway, and lastly, if we really do well on this drive and hit 2,600 newer upgrading members, we will record a member bonus audio commentary for Food Fight! Exclamation point. The movie that caused Stuart's soul to leave his body. Ugh. The movie he actively campaigned against last year when we offered commentaries. Make him pay for that transgression. Make him pay by paying him and the rest of us through the medium of Max Fund Drive. If we get enough new members, we will torture Stu audiovisually via food fight. No, no, don't torture me. <laughs> oh, I'd hate it. Yeah, oh, ouch. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> this is really, really transitioning to Stu's OnlyFans fast. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, while these perks are nice, these are thank you gifts. Again, we don't hide half our content behind a paywall. We make our show free and we offer extra fun tidbits as tokens of thanks because we can't do it without you, the listener. So will you please join us as a member MaximumFun.org slash join is where you go to do that. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Elliot, take us back into the bubble. We've decontaminated. We're going back into the bubble. What's <laughs> happening in the bubble? Can't fight it. Get back in the bubble. Get back in the bubble. Okay, no. we're back in the bubble. Uh, they're gonna, the, the stars are going to shoot an interview for Entertainment Tonight, and the cast learns that uh, things are going so great that when they finish Cliff B6, they're just going to roll right into Cliff B7. And uh, Carol's like, no, no, and tries to get the word out that this needs to stop. And Crystal helps Carol shoot a viral video pleading for help, but the stuntman's daughter deletes it, and then they all slap each other. You know, one at a time. Uh, Carol reaches out to Key for emotional help, but he breaks down and admits that he's a fraud. He didn't write his own self-help book. He barely even read it, and he he's he doesn't have anything. Uh, video of Crystal, the TikTok lady, sneaking out to get drunk. This is something that she did very early in the movie, and I was like, oh, so is this going to pay off at all? It finally pays off. It spreads everywhere, and now she's canceled online as a COVID risk, and that leads to – the weirdest scene in the movie. I said the second weirdest was Pedro Pascal entering a full-body exercise screen and having sex with Daisy Ridley. This is the weirdest scene in the movie. Do you guys want to describe it, or should I describe it? Uh, um, well, they all take a bunch of drugs, right? And they sit around. Yep. They're all sitting around doing in drugs. In a circle, as you do uh, when you take your drugs. Does and uh, David Duchovny look right at home? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he did uh, at for one the point purposes, he for legal purposes. That is uh, entirely a joke that is not in any way related to the real no, David Duchovny. No, it, that uh, was the fictional David Duchovny. I'm saying That's he's a good actor. Uh, and he <laughs> uh, at one point he does a line off of Keen Michael Key's head, which is pretty funny, right? That's pretty funny. See, right, that's guys? not the weird part though. So they're doing they're doing drugs, and <laughs> uh -huh. for some reason, maybe you guys can help me figure this out. Their faces start to morph into like babies' faces, uh -huh. and David then Duchovny's one of face yeah. morphs into very young David Duchovny, which is weird. And one yeah, of them, like I, I forget it. who, one of them morphs into Benedict Cumberbatch, and I don't remember uh -huh. why. 
Well, someone says that they look like Benedict Cumberbatch, then you see them, and then they have morphed into Benedict Cumberbatch. And also, like, Karen Gillan, like, has morphed into, like, someone else. Like, is that a character we saw? Like, a guy with a beard? Is, like, that oh, yeah, that's specific? Right. I think it's just, or a, it just, just a, a face. Just a just a So they're like, face. oh, it's hilarious. When you're on drugs, you think that Karen Gillan looks like this beard man. I don't... Like a beard it's, papa, if you will. Yeah. I... You know, I just got done watching the most recent episode of Party Down, the new season of Party Down, which is sure. great, and I'm very happy to see it again. But there's in this episode, the all the caterers take mushrooms, and they're all tripping, and at no point in the whole episode do they do any weird visual effects. It relies exclusively on performers doing very good performances of people on drugs. And I'm like, oh, this is how this shit's supposed to be, not grotesque, baby-faced, digital-enhanced jokes. What it feels like to me is I wonder if it's a scene that wasn't working and they decided to kind of like gag it up by putting the special effects yeah, in. I don't maybe. know, but there's a... Well, yeah, especially because other than the Benedict Cumberbatch thing, none of the visuals have anything to do with what is happening. Like, it's yeah. not like they're related in some way. Th- that was the that was uh, when uh, Pat Boone had his had his version of the show What's Happening. It was called What Is Happening. <laughs> the way you just said it, Dan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Welcome so, to What is Happening. <laughs> hey, what is and happening? And now, here's some smooth, inoffensive sounds. Uh, so the it's it's just it's a very weird scene, and I don't I don't know enough about drugs. I don't know what drug they're doing. Like it looks like cocaine, but as far as I know, cocaine doesn't usually make <sighs> you no, like hallucinate. So maybe there's other stuff they're doing. It just makes you super funny and interesting. It just yeah, makes you nothing... really interested in something and really eager to tell other people about it. Like yeah. even hallucinogen. Like there's a whole spectrum. Like you know, I guess some of them. Tell me more, cause... Dan. Dan, you're officially now my shaman. Who's gonna bring take me through no, this? I'm just, yeah, I mean, yeah. like. <laughs> He's an onironaut. Look, I haven't <laughs> taken LSD, but I have taken mushrooms, and I know that, like, on have mushrooms, never LSD? it's just, you know, like, <laughs> designs and and patterns start, like, sort of moving and feeling sort of alive and pulsing and breathing, and, like, you know, there's some synesthesia that goes along with it sometimes. If you listen to music, you get some visuals. But it's not like it transforms people into other stuff. Now, Stuart, it sounds like you have taken LSD, so... Does it does it transform people's faces into Benedict Cumberbatch? So the most mem- my most memorable uh, experience. Let me see. I think what happens yes, when you take please. LSD is you uh, play a bunch of hours of Killer Instinct in your friend's basement, <laughs> and then you watch uh, Reckless Kelly starring Yahoo Serious and now, Captain Ron back to back. That's a double feature. Are those movies on LSD? This do- they're hel- I thought they happen. were both the funniest movies I've I mean, ever seen in my pretty, entire life. This is a pretty standard LSD experience. It's playing Killer Instinct <laughs> and watching Reckless Kelly. Yeah. And I'm like, I just got to break this dude's combos, but I'm just I'm just slipping. I'm not good at Killer Instinct anymore. But uh, yeah, so I feel like that, that that's the only difference. So I feel like if this movie wanted to show these characters being on LSD, they would have, of course, had them playing Killer Instinct, which I think mm-hmm. would have actually kind of enhanced the sequence. What do you guys think? Yeah. Do you think... They, they, I was going to say that the problem was that they couldn't get the rights to Reckless Kelly, but that's impossible. They, no, they there's, there's no way. Yeah. Like Young you Einstein, can, <laughs> maybe I could see that. Maybe. But Reckless Kelly, they're just giving that away. Send yeah. a self-addressed stamped envelope to, <laughs> to Yahoo! Seriously, <laughs> you get the rights. Uh, so it's a very strange scene. Uh, they do another TikTok lip sync together, and during that, Dieter, uh, Pedro Pascal, has a heart attack, and everyone takes turns giving him different types of medical care. They're just shoving you know, drugs and things into him until uh, Annika, the hotel clerk that is in love with him, 
gives him a a shot of I don't know adrenaline or something. Well, it's, adrenaline, it's, all like, yeah. it's like Pulp Fiction, uh, except everyone acts as if that's the crazy thing. They're like, "What are you doing?" When we've just seen them like shoving his body into a bathtub yeah. full of ice and throwing drugs into a system and things Which, like again, he climbed into a mirror like workout machine like he can do almost anything right <laughs> yeah. there is I a mean, he's, he's a cartoon <laughs> character essentially yeah and there is a seed of a funny idea in this to me like the idea like these actors none of whom have like medical training are just like making wild leaps about what's wrong with them and trying different treatments yeah. I think, I think that, a, that could be funny but it's a it's potentially a very funny idea but she brings him back they declare their love for each other, and Carol's like, we came together. I can lead us to freedom if we just work together. But we can't get to that first because first we need to see another Cliff Beats scene. Cliff Beats scene, not Cliff Beats, which is, of mm -hmm. course, my my dub album. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's one that I recorded entirely on a mountain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so not Cliff yeah, Beats. Yeah, yeah. it's, your, it's your, uh, your bootleg tape of only Cliff Burton bass solos. <laughs> Hey, you got to look, look, they mixed him down right, too low. They mixed him down yeah. too low. Got to bring the mix up so you can hear him. Cliff, Cliff Beats would also be a great album for for someone named Clifford Beats. <laughs> yeah. What's weird yeah, is so, he, was he was born with the last name Beats spelled with a Z at the end. Yeah. Huh? And it's crazy because he's also a big red dog, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that, and, and played by Martin Short. So yeah, that well, Clifford, Martin Clifford, Martin. Clifford yeah. the big red dog. Got. He did the mocap for the Big Red Dog movie. Wait, hold on. Out, he right? had to have. He had hold to on. Have. I got something here. I got something. Okay, I got lay something. it on us. Lay it on us. Make it happen. Clifford, Clifford the Big Red Dog, he got so red from eating Cliff Beats. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You did have something. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you had something there. Ooh. Look, sci like, scientists can oh, go back no. and measure Stop which it. was the better oh, way. Stop. We You're right. History will be the judge <laughs> of those <laughs> jokes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, calm. See, Elliot. No, 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 no. I'm too sensitive right now. Oh, calm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No more jokes. Oh. No more jokes. He had, oh, he had a too. joke okay. orgasm just okay. now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. So anyway, uh. they're shooting this scene where they have to destroy the cliff beasts by shooting them in the genitals with, and putting them on fire. <laughs> Which, and, okay. So um, most of these jokes aren't funny. I do like that Pedro Pascal is kind of funny in the in the movie clips. Like... And the captions are always saying in like unintelligible accent. Mm. Like he has chosen some kind of weird accent to do and he's doing some kind of weird character. And at least like, I don't know, there's something like he's making an effort. Yeah. Does it yeah, work? Yeah. Probably not. I mean, you be the judge. So uh, Dave Duchovny stops the scene and he argues with the director that it's really just a diversion. So the other actors can escape the set and security chases them and – Carla, the stunt daughter, reveals that she was hired to, prevent, to befriend Crystal so she could be a mole in the group and they have a fight. And then there's an incredibly pointless cameo scene where Carol runs into James McAvoy, who's apparently shooting a movie somewhere else in the same bubble, and they dated at some point. It's, to, it's, it's useless. Uh, eventually, uh, after David Duchovny has a stage fight with the director and then a real fight and beats him up for real, the cast gets away. They get into a helicopter. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key is supposed to fly a helicopter in the movie, so he's learned how to lift it up and down. He doesn't know how to fly it, but together, all with their hands on the stick to guide it, they manage to fly the helicopter away. And then we get the, then we get our favorite title screen that ever shows up in a movie two years later. Oh, Listen, we baby. Gotta, we got to record that Bratz audio commentary <laughs> oh, so we can get yeah. to a sweet two years later screen. Uh, two years later, what I didn't mention is that 
there's a guy who's making a behind-the-scenes documentary the whole time who's supposed to shoot the extra features or whatever, and he, he just pops up every now and then to get insulted. He has made a documentary about the making of the movie. That documentary is somehow already a big hit but is also having its premiere, and we see the cast being interviewed on the red carpet for the premiere of the documentary, and – Nothing is learned, and they're just doing the same old stuff, and you know. It's, yeah, it's well. It's also weird. Like so much of we see, like, and they show a trailer, a, for a the trailer movie. for the documentary, and so much of we see is just like reiterating things that we saw before in a way that I'm like, this is wild that this is going on for so long. Like, if you're gonna do like this time leap ahead. You you just do a couple of jokes about how everyone's life has changed since then, yes, or whatever. And they do none of that stuff. It's yeah. a, there, there's nothing about that there. Uh, then there's a very meta scene at the very end where the producers and the director are watching the helicopter fly away, and they're they're talking about how well we tried. I mean, it's during COVID that we're making this. If the movie's not very good. They can't get mad at us because we're just trying to entertain people during a hard time, right? And that's how the movie ends. And it was like, movie, yeah. don't, don't, don't give me an apologia for the movie at the very <laughs> end. And then there's some kind of end credit scene, but I could not watch it because every time I tried, Netflix would jump me straight to a trailer for the new season of Luther. So I just didn't see mm-hmm. it. And, that, and so thus ends the bubble, not with a bang, but with a trailer I, for Luther. I think I fast forwarded to the end and I did see it and it was like, a, just like a whole lot of nothing. Like it was like literally just like Fred Armisen like turning to the screen going like, mm-hmm, or something oh, like man. that. Like something oh, okay. like that. But yeah, that ending, look, uh, <laughs> it's it's accomplishing exactly the opposite of what it wants. Because I think it was just like, hey, don't be too mad at us. But I'm like, hey, if you knew how bad this yeah. was, <laughs> yeah. it's like I am if, so much madder at you. <laughs> it's like if, if Steven Spielberg, Spielberg ended The Fablemans with whatever his name is, Jack Famel, uh, Sammy Fableman, turning to the camera and being like, Hey, if you don't relate to it, that's because it's one person's story, and he got to finally tell his story on film, right? Even if you didn't enjoy it, it's good therapy for the director. Anyway, and it's like, wait a minute, hold on. Now I don't like the movie because it feels yeah. like you think people are not going to like it, and you're not doing anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. The Fablemans I really enjoyed, though. Right. I mean, like, yeah. The To me, that's a, maybe not the most apt because it is a good, good movie. Whereas, you're saying like, it's not Judd This Apatow, is a bad my, movie my that's like— Hey, we knew it was a bad movie, but what are you going to do? We a made a different Judd was involved. <laughs> a little Judd named Hirsch. <laughs> That's true. I got my, my man, mixed up. My man kills it with a very intense accent. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's some of the best undershirt acting I've seen in a movie yeah, in the he's, past year. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, let's uh, talk about our final judgments. Whether we thought this was a good, bad movie, Ooh, a man. bad, bad movie, a movie we kind of like. I'm going to say, look, um, don't. Hate Judd Judd Apatow. I'm sorry. You know, if you're out there feeling feeling your hurt feelings about the movie, uh, I know that he has admitted himself. Like, uh, maybe this wasn't my best best work. Uh, I like all of the actors in it to one degree or another, like including some like big favorites of mine in this in this film. But I You've also always been a huge Karen Gillan fan. I'm a big Karen Gillan fan. She's great. Uh, as mentioned, Pedro Pascal is particularly good. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, there's a ton of great people in this movie. But Griffin Newman's co star, Peter Zarafinowitz. Peter Zarafinowitz, a dream. Uh, briefly said hello to him once when Steve Bodo brought him into the office uh-huh. for uh, oh, wow. reasons I probably shouldn't. Wow. I mean, like, I don't, it doesn't, he was, he was around for, for reasons. And, uh, 
he he looked Weird. very. Was he there to murder somebody? <laughs> he yeah, just, yeah, he just kind of looked confused as to why he was there. Steve was working on a possible project that. Uh, oh, I see. Anyway, but um, Darth Maul animated series. Yeah. Anyway, it's called Darth Maul at the mall. He's just a kid, just a normal kid trying to grow up as a as a dark doing, side Jedi apprentice. Or sorry, doing Sith skateboard apprentice. tricks. Thank you. Yeah, doing doing force skateboard tricks. Yeah. Yep. Go on. Point is, uh, I I just want to say I've liked all these people before. I will like them again, but this particular film <laughs> I found to be one of the most trying experiences I've had for this podcast, and that's saying something. <laughs> So it's a yeah. bad, bad movie. Yeah, I'm also going to say it's bad, bad. I feel like this movie has a weird, it has a weird challenge in that it's a movie that, at the at the same time, seems to have way more resources than it needs, and is kind of drowning in effects and things like that, and yeah. also not enough resources. And because so much of it is just them hanging around this this one location, this one hotel, and I kind of wonder, would this movie be bigger, better if it went bigger? Would it be better if it went smaller and more intimate? Like it's it's kind of just in the middle. And the result is that there's not a lot for the comedy to latch onto, and I want it feels yeah. like a, a movie that that is uh, that doesn't know what choices it wants to make, and so it doesn't make choices. And I kind of I I think there's a good version of this movie that would exist, and you just have to have to choose what tone it has and how far it wants to go and stuff like that. Yeah, you saying that makes reminds me of like there's that scene in Wonder Boys in Wonder Boys where Katie Wonder Holmes, Boys, the movie where where, uh, <laughs> where the Michael Douglas and uh, and uh, Tony McGuire are are floating in, in an ocean. In a way, yeah, they're they the kind best of movies yeah. in an the ocean, ocean of emotions, the emotion ocean. Yeah, uh-huh. no, the, the scene <laughs> that's where that's what that manatee swims in. <laughs> yeah, the emotion ocean. Katie Holmes. Uh, reads Michael Douglas's like at that point like 800 or 900 page manuscript and she's like uh you remember how you tell us that writing is making choices it kind of feels like you didn't make any <laughs> like <laughs> that's this movie you you put your finger on it yeah i was kind of a grouchy boy about this one a little bit of a steward stinker on this one um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll echo both of you guys. Like, I, I like a lot of the cast. I have liked a lot of Judd Apatow movies. Um, but, yeah, this one doesn't really work, and uh, it feels very thrown together, and it feels like another... I mean, it feels... It it reminded me of COVID lockdown, which is, yeah, not a, not a place I want to go back to. And it also, uh, it also feels like another symptom of the like endless glut of content coming out of the current streaming marketplace of just like stuff being shoveled out there and it feels underdone and underthought uh, through and yeah, it's not for me. No thanks. Uh, Let's move on to letters from listeners. Uh, Hey, you not only support the Flophouse and other great Maximum Fun podcasts, but you also write us letters. Thank you. <laughs> Giving us free content. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> Stuart, shut up. Um, <laughs> You're blowing the game, Stuart. And Keep here's kayfabe. one. Keep kayfabe. <laughs> here's one from Jacqueline, last name withheld. Jacqueline Bissett. Who mm. writes, hello, floppies. I have listened to y'all from 2019 when I was 19 years old. I wonder how many... <laughs> Stuart had a look on his face like, were people that young in 2019? <laughs> Is that possible? I wonder how many other quirky young adults have had the Flophouse be such a cornerstone of their cooking cleaning during their uni years. That's a clue to where this letter is from. Oh, their uni I think years. we're traveling across the pond. Okay. <laughs> Don't it. Stuart, uh, I love it. I love this new character. I hate it. <laughs> I do... 
<laughs> See, I, I like it in, in in a vacuum, but now that we're actually talking to an English person, all yeah, I can that, then it becomes think of offensive. Is how much it's pain. insulting. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't have any witty detours for you, but my question is: Would you ever like to write or direct a short film of your own? What vibe or style would it have? Secondly, what are the top countries listening to you besides the U.S.? That's it. Many flops from the U.K. Jacqueline, last name withheld. I'll start with the first one. Uh, as one might expect, mostly English-speaking countries because <laughs> uh, it's a uh, audio medium. Uh, there are plenty of uh, bilingual or many-lingual people in other countries, but you know we have a lot of listeners. Yeah, in- name names, Dan. What country uh, are you talking uh, about? Ahem. We have a lot of listeners in the U.K., um and in Australia and uh where else also Germany mm. that's not an English speaking country but uh, I mean, a lot because of of, it's because of my fucking killer Werner Herzog impression <laughs> yeah. I bet well the problem is a lot of German <laughs> listeners listen because they think Werner Herzog is on the show but it's yeah, actually exactly. just Stuart yeah. it's just me I do Denmark my, do my little goofs uh, some, some yeah games. I guess we we got some live shows to plan in these countries let's do it um. But if you were gonna, yeah, if you were gonna make movies, I don't know. Uh, Jacqueline specifies short movies, but uh, I don't know why we have to keep ourselves to that. What? What? I, I mean, like this is burning material. We can't get into like Elliot and I. Any ideas we have, we have no, to I, I have hoard a screenplay like that's, gold. I have a screenplay that's out now for producers looking at it, and I don't want mm-hmm. to say what it is because I want it to get made. But I, I, I will say there is a short film that I've been planning to write that I would like to direct and I just haven't gotten around to it because I've been so busy. But it is a, um, I would call it a deadpan comedy, a historical mm. deadpan comedy that I think I could shoot very cheaply. As and a, as a, thing. as the non-creative of the gang, no, I, I can answer. Call. I wouldn't uh, say that's uh, And true. I don't know. I feel like uh, generally when I work, uh, mainly when I like write or work on comics and stuff, I usually kind of, gear toward the horror or horror comedy because uh, I both like things to be scary and also I just can't help but make things funny, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, horror comedy definitely would be like my, it's my favorite genre and the one I would want to do. And up until recently, it has been, I feel like it was labeled box office poison for a long time for reasons I'm not sure about. It's like one of these things where like, there's a period where there are horror comedy hits like an American Werewolf in London, and then like they're, you know, but then you high got your profile. American Werewolves in Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but also like high profile failures like early James Gunn work. Slither uh, was a big bomb. Like the mm. Frighteners was well, a big bomb. People were already so you hyped on Night of the Creeps that they're like, great. we don't need Slither too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, but I feel I like think, I think the issue oh. part of the issue is that we like horror and we like comedy, but I think. Your your civilians, your average person does not does not like to mix those two things. They like to know whether they're supposed to laugh or or. Be Except at it seems to you know be on a, a serious upswing. You know, like what with uh, you got your Megan, you got your Barbarian, you got your Cocaine Bear. You got. I would say uh, that's. I would say those are. That's a. It's, except for Megan, that is a different level of success, though. Like well, but we're living in a world where uh, that's uh, the new marker. Like, like yeah, what movies can actually get people into the theaters yeah, yeah, enough? Yeah. Elliot's success. like, oh, they didn't make as much as Avatar Two: The Way of Water, so <laughs> so they're automatically invalid. failures. <laughs> yeah, no, but no, I feel just, I, no, but I feel like uh, something that I, that uh, I feel like I'm learning about 
your your average viewer is that they have a certain amount of appetite for certain things, but they don't want just nonstop that thing. And the problem that a lot of uh, film and TV makers have, I think, is they say, people like this thing. Let's make more of that. Where I think with a lot of people, it's like, oh, I had that thing. Like I saw, like, I think a lot of average viewers are like, I saw Megan. Right. That, I love that. That was really fun. Okay, what else am I going to do? That ticked off that box for a little bit. But I, I do think, I don't know. I, I do think that there's a mini resurgence of horror comedy as a viable thing. Could be. And, uh, I mean, I hope I mean, so. I love them, so. You know, you, you, I'm looking back in the Happy Death Day, sure. et cetera. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm glad well, like, that— And certainly, certainly horror movies that are pitched as fun. Like, if you yes. go to this thing, you will have a good time. <laughs> well, I think maybe that's it, is that if you pitch it's, something as, like, a horror comedy, it confuses people. But if you say, like, this is a fun horror movie, then they're like, yeah, yeah. yeah that they and don't the, want to— that and they the way don't, you do it's not that about trauma. You, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, exactly. show. It's not about trauma. <laughs> yeah, A24. Uh, yeah, you, what you do is you show the cast having a little dance party on the <laughs> no, set. No, and no, people are going to be like, this that. looks great. You don't do it. You don't do it. Do not do that. <laughs> That's a, don't you can do maybe that. do it. Don't do it. No, not I mean, a do-do, yeah. And I love, seeing, I love seeing actors dancing when they're in a musical or when it's a dance scene. I just don't, I don't need to see them dancing the way people dance yeah. at weddings, you know. I don't need to see that. I also want to make clear, like we like A twenty four style horror movies yeah, too. Of we course. just yeah, sure. we just like having yeah. the the option on the buffet to have something. That's yeah, A twenty four is listening. We still like your shit, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I just look. Yeah, who cares? Um, okay, <laughs> this next letter. I was gonna explain myself, but it's not important. Brandon last name withheld. Writes uh, the subject. Heading for this email is who says Godzilla can't just step on a house? Okay. <laughs> All right, let's hear on. it. Let's hear it. I mean, he stepped on Bambi once. That's smaller than a house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the new. <laughs> is it bigger than a break box? Is yeah, it bigger yeah. than Bambi? <laughs> How many Bambis tall is your house? <laughs> uh, dearest Peaches, in your last episode, Elliot put forward as a as a fact the idea that you couldn't have Godzilla just attack a single house. Fair enough. Normally the movie would be quick and boring, but I ask you this, Sharks. What if in that house was one Kevin McAllister, a home Godzilla, if you will? (laughs) How interested are you now? How interested are you now? You don't have to, you don't know what's going to happen in that movie. Anything could happen. It's the last truly original Hollywood movie. I don't know if it's truly original. It's, it's just not if it's two it's different IPs that are being slammed together. Yeah, two things. <laughs> it's not does original Kevin at all. Fight up Godzilla. If so, how much prep time does he need? What would be the traps? Or does Godzilla defeat but ultimately respect the crafty home defender <laughs> after a lengthy but narratively bittersweet battle? Should you find this a tempting offer? Let me suggest that Godzilla is not the only movie monster. Uh, I don't. Uh, oh, a de-aged Macaulay Culkin CGI'd onto a tiny <laughs> child's body could go up against. The limits are only your imagination. Sure. I was stumbling over the or word de-aged, de-aged. which uh, without a hyphen is very confusing. Yeah, de Yeah. I, I will say anyway. the limits are not so much our imagination as the imaginations of people who have already made movies about monsters. Sure. Uh, since we're pulling from and a toy box. And the imaginations box. of, yeah, Godzilla and now, uh, here's, here's what I'll say Chris to that. Columbus. Sure, we'd all love to see Kevin McAllister go up against a bigger challenge, and there's no bigger challenge, literally, than Godzilla. <laughs> but I have there's a, there's a thing called uh, proportionality, mm. and okay, I think go on. the the Wet Bandits are proportionally a good challenge for Kevin because they are dumber than him, but they are 
slightly bigger and slightly stronger being adults. Sure. And there's two of them. Uh, the Godzilla threat seems out of proportion for Kevin since, again, he can put as many nails on steps or little micro-machines on the floor. Godzilla's just going to crush them all between his giant, <clears throat> under his giant foot. There's a between his toes. That's a good point. He's not going to slip on the marbles or the, or the micro-machines. If he steps on a nail, it's going to get bent because yeah. he's so strong. It's not going to go into his foot. Uh, and he's also emitting radiation, which I don't know how Kevin is going to— defend himself against that unless he's in a lead line suit, which is going to make it harder for him to accurately aim a BB gun, which again have, would have no effect on the inches, if not feet thick derma of Godzilla mm -hmm. and the armor plating that's just a part of his scales. And so I think maybe Kevin should like level up to something more on the Jason level of monster, oh, possibly, yeah. uh, as opposed to going all the way to a kaiju. You want him to pay his dues. Yeah, Elliot's saying. basically not, no, paraphrasing the concept <laughs> of challenge ratings in TNT. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, oh, I yeah, see. It, it's, not, it's not that I want him to level, it's not Renfield, where he's got he, to fight bigger to and bigger monsters. Increase you know? his hit points and endurance. Uh-huh, yep, absolutely. No, Once he gets to a certain level <laughs> and he gets enough magic items that are appropriate yeah. for his level, he'll be able to take on a Godzilla is what no, I don't think I don't think that's true. I mean, if there are magic items in the Home Alone universe right now, the most magic item is like the shovel that the old, the lonely old man next door has. Uh, but <laughs> if there's there's a certain limit as to how how powerful there's a ceiling to the power of Kevin McAllister. He is a, a, a human child without magical tongue, or paranormal abilities who is dealing <laughs> with human sized objects. And so I think a human sized opponent is really what he is most. He was I, don't able, know, I could see him getting like an Ultraman suit or something, a doorknob <laughs> okay. until it glowed. Yes. And to make now, a man's skeleton appear inside his body. You're saying this child is not magical? Now, yes. I believe the skeleton appeared in his body because he was electrified by, not by the heat, right? Was that? Mm -hmm. was, was that yeah, the doorknob? It was, the, it was the electricity. No, no, I'm, I'm, it was, these are two okay, separate okay, examples sorry, sorry. of outlandish things that... Okay. And while, now, yes, keep, I feel like both those end. traps would have no effect on Godzilla. Yes, that's what I was about to say. Is Godzilla, again, born in the heart of a nuclear blast, he literally has radioactive fire inside of himself that he could use to just destroy Kevin McAllister instantly, including the house that he's in. Uh, and yeah. the electricity, he walks through power lines all the time. If anything, it might part charge him up more. But overall, it all comes back to the same thing, which is, again, the home that Kevin is protecting is itself not strong enough to withstand the might of Godzilla's giant foot. Now, again, a Certainly more human— not the home alone— but if the home had help, <laughs> no, I, I don't. Now, if you were saying, could Kevin go up against the monster from Relic? Possibly. That's, okay. a, that's not a human monster. It's bigger <laughs> than a human monster. So now we're just or or yeah. like evil Granny from Relic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or is the is the Granny from Granny evil, or is some someone uh, else evil? She becomes evil halfway okay. through. Now here's okay. the crossover I want to see. It's, what happens is she abuses the powers of the me chow that she takes. Okay. okay. It's supposed to make her live along, you know, it, we'll watch. Sure, sure. So the, the, what I want to see is Kevin McAllister <laughs> up against the babysitter from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And here's how that trilogy goes. First one, prequel. She, he's up against the babysitter. She's mean. They come mm -hmm. to an understanding. They have to team up at the end to go up against a bigger monster, not Godzilla big. Second one. It's the movie we know, The Babysitter's Dead, pretty early on. Third movie, Zombie Babysitter <laughs> comes back early. to go after Kevin McAllister. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we figured it out. I mean, the great thing out. about that is that for that storyline, you can skip most of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Just make your own machete cut, I guess, of the <laughs> of the of the movies where it's just the beginning of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's yeah. Dead. Well, the, yeah, the, it'll be like in Evil Dead 2 where it has that five minutes that's basically just like really running Recapping. through Evil Dead very now, quickly. And now there, okay, there's a threat for Kevin McAllister. Kevin's family, so Kevin's family goes to 
Tokyo or something on vacation. Kevin took the wrong plane. He ends up at the cabin from Evil Dead. Now he's got to fight off the dead. So he goes to Michigan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Kevin goes to Michigan. Uh, he's and he's with his buddies. That's maybe. not far. He's he's based out of Chicago, he's in Chicago. but he's yeah. feeling yeah. Minnesota. Yeah, and but he's in Denver and he's dead. So who knows what's oh. going to happen? He doesn't know what to do in that situation. <laughs> no. Ever since ever since they shut down the Denver Tourism Bureau's <laughs> things to do here when you're dead department. <laughs> That's what the thrillist <laughs> for for Denver says. If you're dead, here's some things to do this weekend. Anyway, um. Let's do. Uh, so I think we put that one to rest. Yeah, let's do movie recommendations. You know what I saw recently? I went the to sign? the. Did it open up your eyes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, life is demanding. <sighs> um, <laughs> I went to the Prospect Park Nighthawk. I saw myself a sweet repertory screening of Psycho 2, directed by Richard Franklin. Mm. Uh, I have long maintained that the biggest problem with Psycho 2 is that it is impossible for any movie to be Psycho. Uh, we already have a Psycho. It had such... It's possible for one movie to be Psycho. Yeah, just one. Well, but the thing is, like, at this point, even Psycho isn't Psycho because it's mm, had so much cultural impact. You cannot That's a good recreate uh, Psycho. But the, the beauty... Shock of it. yeah. Yeah, but the beauty of Psycho 2 is that the plot takes into account... We all know Psycho, so let's... Uh, I don't want to say too much, but the movie like uses the knowledge that you know what Psycho is against you in a way that I feel like more uh, more uh, sequels should sort of think of entry points like okay, let's like how does this movie relate to the first one and like lessen like a sense of like oh let's continue the story or let's repeat the story, but it's more not like, just Norman's on the, on a rampage again. Yeah, like like how does this relate to the story in a more in like a more holistic way? Like like what can we turn on its head? What can we change? What like what do we want to learn more about? Um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a good movie uh, directed by Richard Franklin, uh, the Aussie director who was an acolyte of of Hitchcock's, uh, and uh, I enjoy it. Anyway. Uh, that's cool. I'm going to recommend a movie from 1987. Yep, perfect year. Uh, <laughs> I'm recommending a movie called Light of Day, directed by, of course, director of Heartbeeps, Paul Schrader. <laughs> uh, and Light we of need, Day. We need to, if, uh, listeners, there's nothing I would like more than for you to go to maximumfund.org slash join and pledge us. But other than that, if you could go to the Heartbeeps Wikipedia page and just just have it say that Paul Schrader directed that, it, yeah. that'd be great. Uh, and then somebody record Paul Schrader's reactions live <laughs> off of Facebook. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't. I, this is all going to end up with Paul Schrader tracking us down somehow. No, no. It doesn't seem like a. But I like I his movies. I would love to meet Paul Schrader. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just I feel like there's I feel like there's something hidden I inside that man. I challenge him to a poker game. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't love that he was always fighting the Ninja Turtles. You know, yeah, but still, that's true. That's true. <laughs> he did that. Uh, so, uh, Light of Day is, uh, it's an interesting little movie. It's probably, it's not one of my favorite Paul Schrader movies, but I think it's that worth a watch. That would be Heart Beeps. Uh-huh. Uh, this movie stars Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett as a pair of siblings who are in their early 20s living in Cleveland, and they are living like a blue-collar life but they are also trying to make it as uh, as like a small-time rock and roll band. And Joan Jett, the sister, uh, has a young child, and she cannot give up her dream of being a rock star, uh, or at least living a rock and roll lifestyle. 
And so it means that Michael J. Fox has to take on the responsibility of watching this child. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, and there's additional family drama. It shows the, like, the side of the Midwest, uh, like a blue collar Midwest that you don't get to see very often. Uh, the mullets are great. Uh, there's a very small uh, cameo from Michael Rooker, which I'm assuming was shot before, uh, like, I'm assuming it was shot like around when Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer was being made. Like he had not been in much stuff at this point. Um, and it also has Michael McKean, who plays the bassist in their band, who's in it quite a bit and has a variety of different facial hairs. So that's worth <laughs> watching. Uh, again, like it, there's, it verges a little bit into like, uh, like TV movie or movie of the week, but that could also just be how much like big movies have altered my brain. But if you're interested in watching kind of like a smaller movie, uh, that's set in kind of a part of America that you don't really see very often in movies, uh, check out light of day. Uh, I want to recommend two movies. One of them has the word day in the title, so Ooh. it doesn't get more thought out than that. Uh, this actually was not the movie that I was originally going to recommend, but after watching The Bubble and thinking about it, I was like, oh, and mentioning, there's a good version of this movie, and it's called Day for Night. So that's the first thing I'm going to recommend is uh, Day for Night, uh, or uh, the original French title is La Nuit Americaine, The American Night. Uh, it's directed by Francois Truffaut, and is about the making of a movie in France. Jacqueline Bissett, who wrote us that letter earlier, is in it, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. the it's just a, it feels very Robert Altman-y where it is about people making a movie. There's a number of different storylines going on with the different people in the movie, and it shows you so many different people involved. But because it's a French movie, it's a much smaller crew than an American movie would so that it would have. So there's a real sense of intimacy to it. And it's just really good, and parts of it are very funny, and parts of it are very kind of like dramatic or heartbreaking, and characters do foolish things. Uh, and it's uh, it's just a really enjoyable movie, but it's also a very – wise movie about what the process of filmmaking is like, as you would expect Francois Truffaut to have since he'd been making movies for years by that point. So that's Day for Night. But the movie I wanted to recommend, uh, I think it was, was last episode, I think I also recommended a movie about uh, some women who are going through challenges in their lives. Uh, this, I want to do another one of those. And this one stars recent Academy Award nominee, Michelle Yeoh. That's right. It's a movie about women dealing with challenges. That's The Heroic Trio from oh, 1993, cool. <laughs> directed by Johnny Toe. And you have, uh, it is, watching it, it's like, oh, this is like what a 90s Hong Kong idea of a superhero movie before uh, the Marvel movies had kind of codified what a superhero movie was supposed to be. But after the Batman movies had come in and kind of, made their impression about what a superhero yeah. movie is supposed to be, but filtered through a, a very Hong Kong filter. There's three uh, powerful women. There's uh, Michelle Yeoh, Anita Mui, and uh, Maggie Chung. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing names. And uh, they play Wonder Woman, the Invisible Woman, and Thief Catcher, but not the ones, not the Wonder Woman and Invisible Woman we're familiar with. But they uh -huh. are three women who uh, find themselves on different sides at first when uh, an evil villain who lives under the streets uh, in the sewers, but the sewers look kind of like caverns uh, yeah. of a city, is collecting babies, uh, thinking that one of them will become the foretold new king of China. And there is a lot of real fun fights. Uh, it gets very strange at times. And the climax of the movie, you watch it and you're like, oh, the, Michelle is going to go into onto an Academy Award, but she still did this bonkers scene that involves her fighting like the, the charred body of a super powerful wizard, <laughs> you know, uh, magician. Uh, it's just, yeah. uh, it's a super fun movie. So that's 
the heroic trio. Is that that's on Criterion right now, right? It is on Criterion right now. They that's have a great. Michelle Yeoh uh, collection on right now. With yes, madam. <laughs> yeah, yes, madam's on there also, and uh, and Super Cop. You know, a lot of stuff she was in. That's good. Yay! Hey, before we go, just one last pitch for becoming a Max Fun member. I know I'm coming into this with such aggressive energy because it's actually uh, going to get a little personal here be, in a second. Be aggressive, Dan. No, no, no. I talked last show a little bit about how the Flophouse has almost uh, magically changed my life. It's introduced me to people I wouldn't have known otherwise, whether it be kind, enthusiastic, wonderful listeners uh, we meet on the road, or if it's a chance to uh, text our guest Gillian Flynn about bad wigs in a movie, or if it's uh, even meeting my wife through a karaoke event arranged by Max Fun New York. So, like, it's just been a wild thing to be— Wait, who'd you meet at the karaoke event? My wife, Audrey. Okay. I was hoping you were going to say it funnier. Yeah. My wife. Thank you. Uh, it's allowed me to showcase— Shouldn't case. have needed the prompting. Shouldn't have needed it. I was—you uh, know what? It's— <laughs> I think it's to my credit that I didn't know where he was going with it. <laughs> fair, it's fair. A, it, it's allowed me to showcase both uh, my own voice and my voice, uh, the voice of my dear friends, Stuart and Elliot, in a way that actually gets out into the world and connects with people. It's kept me and Elliot and Stuart financially afloat during times where we've all gone through a bunch of ups and downs. And most importantly, it's made me feel connected and less alone in this world, knowing that other people like the same dumb nonsense I do and we do whether it's uh, my co-hosts or you out there in listener land. And I'd like to thank everyone for that. And I know it's been important for our listeners as well because I've heard stories about people meeting their partners because of the podcast or adopting a child uh, through context to the podcast or folks going through a tough time who've been helped by listening to us be silly. And I honestly kind of don't like to think about it too much because I'm a 44-year-old man from the Midwest and emotions confuse and frighten me. But it's uh, honestly been very meaningful to me to know that if some angel pulled an It's a Wonderful Life on me and showed me how life would be different if I'd never been born, that because of this podcast, in large part, there would actually be a significant difference in the world. <laughs> so uh, we've got a lot of new stuff in store for this year. We've been trying to do more video content and fun tidbits. We're uh, working on an ambitious plan for more live streaming shows in the coming year. So if you want the show to not just survive, but to continue to thrive and expand, consider becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. That site again is MaximumFun.org slash join. If you like us, pick the Flophouse, one of your shows to support. And thank you so much for being a listener. Um, and that's it. Other than also thanking our producer, Alex Smith, who puts the show together. Uh, you can find him on various socials as Howell Doughty. Uh, but I will say for the Flophouse, I have been Dan McCoy. I'm still Stuart Wellington. My name is MaximumFun.org slash join. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's <laughs> Elliot. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody, Shabu. it's Flophouse time. Shaka From coast laka, to laka. coast, we're the most Flophouse podcast that there is because we're the only one. So by definition, we are the most Flophouse podcast there is. Flophouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stu is unimpressed. <laughs> no, I loved it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.